0: And like I was saying, I would say that each and every one of us uh, who've come to faith in Jesus Christ desire to walk in a manner worthy. And I'm sure that each and every one of us who truly know the Lord um, are heartbroken and grieved when we don't. And we want to do the right thing. And when we fail, we're grieved. We confess, we know we're forgiven, but we don't want to fail in those ways again. We want to be more like Jesus and so with that in mind, uh, wanting to desire and desiring to please the Lord, how can we do so? Well, we've been in the book of Colossians, and we've been looking at how we can walk in a worthy manner, pleasing God. Would you turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 10 to 14. Now, I want to share a little bit of the context to the book of Colossians. The Apostle Paul uh, is writing the Colossian Church. He's under house arrest in Rome. It's about 62 AD, and although he has never visited and met these Colossians, uh, he has been informed by Epaphras, their spiritual father, of their faith and their love, uh, faith in Jesus and their love for one another. And yet he's also learned that there were threats uh, to their faith. He's learned that there were those that were trying to cause them to trust in other things than Christ, Religious things, so we see this in chapter 2, uh, the help of angels or treating your body severely or whatever it might be. And, and Paul says these are of no uh, help or they're of no uh, help in terms of fleshly indulgence. says that in the end of chapter, chapter 2. And so the Apostle Paul in responding to this reveals what is truly what we need, which is the person of Jesus Christ. He shares in chapter one, a focus on Christ is the most important thing, that he is, as we will see today, our redeemer, that he is the creator, he is before all things, and that in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, he's preeminent, he's fully God and fully man. He died for us to present us holy and blameless. What an amazing thing. And he is in you, Christ, in you, the hope of glory, and we are being, uh, He is being proclaimed that we would be made complete in chapter two. We see in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, so don 't get taken captive don 't get kidnapped spiritually. Trust the Lord, and then in chapters three and four, we see that since we 've died and raised and raised with Christ, we should be setting our minds on the things above, not the things of earth. We should be putting to death sin through the power of Christ. We should be renewing our minds with his word, letting our hearts be controlled, letting the word dwell richly in our hearts and his peace rule our hearts, choosing to allow his word to govern all of our actions. And then we see applying this true relationship with Christ to different relationships, such as the marriage relationship, parent-child, slave-master or work relationship, or a relationship to those who don't know Christ, our relationship with outsiders. And so this book, as we have seen already, is extremely important. It's an extremely practical book. So with that in mind, how can we walk in a manner that pleases God? Getting a little hot here on the East Coast. <laughs> All right, so how can we walk in a way that pleases God? Well, we're going to see that in our passage today. Let's take a look uh, at Colossians chapter 1, and let's back up a little bit to verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, Strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Wow, what a wonderful passage. Uh, And so as we come together, I think we're going to be reminded, first of all, of what we've seen the last few weeks. I'm going to briefly look at that, and then we'll get to our passage, which is a continuation. And I've mentioned this before, but almost all, two-thirds of uh, chapter one is all one long sentence, basically. And so it all goes together, so it's good to know the context. You might remember we saw the first thing we need to do to walk worthily is to really start in humble prayer. We need to be praying, which shows dependence and that's exactly what the Apostle Paul and Timothy were doing. Verse 9, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. Uh, they were brought to their knees when they heard of the Colossians' response to the gospel They had heard and understood the grace of God in truth. They had believed concerning Jesus Christ, and they had faith in Jesus, and that resulted in a love for the saints. And a preface had informed them of their love in the Spirit. They had responded to the gospel, the message of truth. And so from the very day that they heard of it, They've been praying for them. They've been praying. And we saw that we need to be praying for one another. We need to be praying for our own spiritual condition that God would grow us and change us and make us like him. It starts with humility, a broken and contrite spirit the Lord will not despise as we are recognizing our absolute need of him. And the Apostle Paul recognized understood that God was the one who has to enact the change. But yet we'll see there are means in which he does so in the context of prayer. And so notice, he, pray, he says they haven't ceased to pray, and then notice his request, to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Tremendous, that the clause should be filled with the knowledge of his will. That term filled we saw last time speaks of being controlled in this context. You see in Ephesians chapter 5, we're not to be drunk with wine, but filled with the Spirit, or be controlled by the Spirit rather than rather than wine. We're to be filled. It speaks of something reaching its end or being complete or filled or fulfilled. And so we're to be continually, habitually filled with or controlled by what? We're to be controlled by the full knowledge of his will. The full understanding of God's desire as revealed in the word of God for us should control us. And Paul is praying that you would have the full understanding of that and we should be praying for one another for that, that we would understand what his desire is for us in every circumstance, how we are to act, how we are to react, how we are to live. He's giving us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. So every circumstance, his will is revealed in his word, and he's praying that we would be filled with the full knowledge of his will. We see that and we saw that God's will uh, is revealed in the word of God. There is uh, the wisdom from above and wisdom from below. And wisdom from above, spiritual wisdom we see in our passage. You know, it says, be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that... Uh, God has revealed his wisdom. He has graciously brought it forth to us. He's revealed it to us. We have the mind of Christ. We have the word of God, that which Paul speaks and spoke. And in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see, if we're renewed in our minds with God's Word, we're going to demonstrate what God's will is. Romans chapter 12 verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world. Don't let the world, uh, don't let it, don't let the world cause you to think like the world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or demonstrate what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. So, you know, when I renew my mind about how I'm to to treat uh, those around me, whether it's my spouse, whether it's my children, I, I renew my mind, then I'm filled with the knowledge well, I'm going to change, I'm going to act differently. Renew my mind about how I'm to react, maybe when I'm wronged, or whatever it might be. Whatever it is, how I'm to, to, to address uh, the temptation to worry, how I'm to address temptation. All kinds of things, everything in life. We see that God reveals his uh, will, and it's in the context of spiritual wisdom. Now, we gain spiritual wisdom, as I've mentioned, from the word of God. That's where we get it. That's where we get it. And So you cannot be filled with the knowledge of his will without understanding what his will is from his word. And God has freely given us uh, the things uh, that we might know, the things freely given to us. He's given us his spirit. Now with that, we not only need to know it. You can know what his will is. I can know this is the way I should be. I can know this is the way I should respond. I can know this is what I should do. But sometimes we don't gain an actual understanding. We need to understand also. And that comes from the Spirit of God. He says that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom. And you can also apply that in all all understanding. And this idea of understanding speaks of the sending together a union of two rivers. You you get it. You understand it. I get it. It's an understanding. It's in divine revelation we have in God's word that we're given the will of God. And it is through divine illumination through the spirit of God that we gain understanding concerning God's revelation. You see, the natural man cannot understand the things of the spirit. It is through the Spirit of God that we gain understanding of the Word of God, which means we need to be submitted and walking with the Lord when we're attempting to understand the Word of God. We need to be coming to the Lord. Open my eyes that I might see wonderful things from thy law. So then, the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding comes through the Word of God in the humble believer who is willing to receive it and be changed by it through the Spirit of God. So then how can we walk in a manner worthy that pleases God? First of all, we begin with humble prayer. We pray that God would change us, and we pray for others that they would be filled with the knowledge of His will. Pray for those you know in the body of Christ that are true believers, that they would be filled with that. It would be, they'd be overflowing with the knowledge of His will, and that we would, personally. And then secondly, we need to be determined to be filled with it ourselves. We need to be determined to fill ourselves up with his will and let God, by his Spirit, control us by that will. Let his will control us. We have choices to make. We get frustrated. We have a choice to make. We can either give it over to the Lord or we can hold on to it in sin, whatever it might be. We have choices to make. We need to let his will determine that, whatever it might be. And so we need to be determined to be filled with the knowledge of his will. And then renew our minds and fill our hearts with his word and rely on his spirit to give us understanding. And it's from that we gain an understanding and we then see what the result is. When we are controlled by the Lord Jesus Christ through his word, by his spirit, yielded to him as we will see, then the result is a walk that is worthy of him. The result is a walk that is worthy. And that's what we're really going to primarily focus our attention on today is what does that walk look like? When I'm allowing uh, God's word to control me, what should that look like? What should that look like? And then we gain our understanding. So we don't fool ourselves. I mentioned it earlier. We all fail and we hate our failures. We want to walk worthily. Well, what does it look like? So in our passage here, he says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, We've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, verse 10, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. Being filled, completely understanding his full will, dependently relying on him to work it out, having renewed minds results, And a walk that is worthy of the Lord. That's quite amazing. You see, God's word is powerful. And when we submit to the Lord and allow his spirit-empowered word to change our minds and hearts, it changes our behavior if we're true believers. So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. Quite amazing. When we renew our minds with his word, spiritual wisdom, humbly depend upon him to reveal it, spiritual understanding, the result is that we might walk in a manner worthy, or the purpose that we might walk in a manner worthy. Tremendous reality. Indeed, we saw this earlier in Romans chapter 12. And do not be conformed to this world, verse 2, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove... What the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now this term, walk in a manner worthy, the term walk means that. Uh, Peri pateo, it means to walk around. It speaks of walking around, and that is what our life is. It's what we're doing. It's, what, it's our walk, right? You know, we have the term walk the walk. You know, it, it's our behavior, Right? And so here it speaks of the day-to-day, moment-by-moment conduct of one's life. And the Christian's walk is to be a day-to-day, moment walk, which is worthy of the Lord. How is that possible? Our Lord is perfect. Our Lord is, is righteous and holy. How is that possible? The word worthy speaks of bringing the beans of a scale and making them equivalent. Walking in a manner that is worthy of our Lord, who is perfect, who is holy, who is righteous, who is just, who is kind, compassionate, loving, merciful, all those things. How can we do that? How can we behave in a manner that is consistent with the very character of Christ? Well, as we've seen, it all comes down to being filled or controlled by the full knowledge of his will. When I fully understand and know his will, and I allow that knowledge to control me by his spirit, it changes my behavior. It changes my thinking. So he says here, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, he doesn't say we're to be worthy. He doesn't say we're to make ourselves worthy. The point is, when we're truly filled and controlled by the true knowledge of his will, which comes from his word, illumined by his spirit, in the context of the renewed mind, then we're able to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to behave consistently with the very character of Christ. Now, we don't do it perfectly. We're not glorified yet. We're not perfect. But we should be growing in our relationship, being more and more like Jesus, pressing towards that upward goal, more and more like him every day. We should be growing in our relationship with him. And then he says, this is amazing, Verse middle verse 10, to please him... In all respects. Wow. That's, that's quite amazing. We have a hard time pleasing each other. How about pleasing, pleasing the Lord? In all respects. This is quite amazing. And everything, uh, in this world, every person who doesn't know the Lord, all this stuff, Satan, the world, the flesh is gonna turn you away from allowing his word to control your mind. The things of this world are going to control your mind. The circumstances that have happened to you are going to control your mind. Whatever it might be, rather than the word of God, by the spirit of God, illuminate, controlling my mind and my thinking, holding every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I'm talking about perfectly doing that here, but we, we want to do it more and more and more, be more and more like him. We're not going to be perfect. But we are going to, if we're holding our thoughts counted, if we're actually wanting to uh, walk according to his will, when we do fail, we're going to confess. We're going to forgive, whatever it might be. We're going to do those things. That's according to his will, right? Absolutely. And so he says here, to please him in all respects. And you say, what pleases God? Well, back in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, at the baptism of Jesus, and behold, verse 17, Matthew 3:17, a voice came out of heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus pleases the father. Jesus pleases the father perfectly. The father's making it clear to everyone there that he is well pleased with his son. He loves him and he's very pleasing to him. He's well pleased. But how do we please God? We please God by faith in him. It is impossible to please God apart from faith. We believe in the Lord Jesus. We trust in him. We believe his word. We abide in him. And that pleases him. Without faith, and that's biblical faith in Christ, the assurance of things uh, hoped for and the conviction of things unseen, it's it's biblical faith in Christ. It is impossible to please him apart from that. And so God is not pleased with our attempts to earn his favor. He's not pleased with good works on our own. He's not pleased with our own righteousness. He's pleased with Jesus Christ. And he's pleased when we allow the mind of Christ to control my thinking and trust the spirit of Christ to lead me and empower me. He's pleased with that. He's pleased when we abide in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing, John 15, 5. And if we are in Christ and we are walking by faith, that means we're abiding in Jesus, we're trusting in him, we're believing his word, we're believing in him. So do you want to please God? You want to be pleasing to him? Ephesians chapter 5, the ladies are trying to learn or demonstrate what is pleasing to him. Trying to learn, demonstrate that. You want to do that? Then let the word of Christ dwell richly in you and uh, allow him to control you. With the full knowledge of his desire. The full. Knowledge. We should be thinking this way. What is your desire for me at this point? What is your will reveal I should be doing? What is your desire for me and how I respond? What is your desire for me in my work here? What is your desire for me in my marriage? What is your desire for me in raising my kids? What is your desire for me? And when we fail, we confess, and we know if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. But we ask and desire what his desire is so that we might please him in all respects. So if you want to please God, you need to know his will. You need to know his will. And you need to believe it and trust in him. You see, allowing the full knowledge of his will to control you will result in the worthy walk, that you would walk in a manner worthily. Don't try to please God. Don't try to walk worthily. Fill yourself up with his word, your heart up. Let it control your thinking day in and day out, moment by moment, second by second. As we'll see in chapter 3, the word of Christ dwelling richly in us. So then, the worthy walk is the result of being filled with the knowledge of his will, believing it, and abiding and trusting in Christ. Now, with this in mind, how do I know if I'm pleasing him? How do I know? Maybe I'm fooling myself. Maybe I'm thinking I'm doing really great and I'm actually horribly not pleasing him at all. How do I know what is pleasing to him? How do I see it? What does it look like in real time? Well, he's going to give us an example of some specifics. It's not everything, but it's some specifics that help us know Hey, am I walking in a worthy manner? These things should be happening. And when they're not, I've, I've, I've got sin or whatever it is, and I've slipped out of that. I need to confess and get back into walking in a worthy manner. And so what, if we were to see what it looked like, take a picture of it, what would it look like? Here I have, uh, the picture right here. We have it in our scriptures here. So that you may, verse 10, walk in a manner worthy, Lord, to please Him in all respects. And then we have, which we'll see, four participles. We have the main verb, to walk, so that you would walk. And then we have what are called participles. They're basically ING words. And in Greek we have them. So to walk, bearing fruit, verse 10. To walk, increasing in knowledge of God, verse 10. Uh, And to walk, strengthened, or being strengthened, being strengthened. To walk, giving thanks. Those are things that are going to reveal a picture of the worthy walk. You could call it a fourfold picture of the worthy walk. And so what's the first evidence, may I say, of a worthy walk? What should we see in our lives? Now, we need to examine ourselves. We need to examine ourselves for the Lord, and it's the Lord that examines us. Paul said, it's a small thing that you examine me. The Lord examines me. We need to be those who who examine ourselves in light of the word of God. And we've got to stop examining everyone else, but examine ourselves so that we would walk in a worthy manner. We'd be, in that sense, examples. And so with that in mind, what's the first one? Notice there will be a continual bearing of fruit. He says, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work. Now, the idea of bearing fruit is a simple one. I hardly need to explain it. Good fruit is produced from a good tree. Bad trees don't produce good fruit. Good trees don't produce bad fruit. If the tree is good, it has the potential then of producing good fruit. Turn to John 15. The Lord Jesus talks about this. And it's very important because he's getting ready to leave. He's been in their presence. He's been encouraging them personally, all these things personally. And now he's leaving. He's preparing them for the fact that he's going to bring them, he's going to give them his spirit, another helper just like him. And uh, we need to understand this because with the spirit of God, when we abide in Christ, we're going to bear fruit. John fifteen four, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. That's what God says. For without me, apart from you, you can do nothing. Right? If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you ask uh, what you desire, whatever you wish, it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. He says here that we are to abide in him. And if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. When branches abide and rest and simply draw everything from the vine, then they will produce fruit. When we try to trust in anything other than Christ, we're not going to produce fruit. When we rely on him in every area, in every circumstance, and action, and reaction, he's going to bring forth Fruit, and notice here it says bearing fruit in every good work, and it's active. You will actively bear fruit. You're going to bear fruit. He's talking about in every good work, and what, is, what does he mean by good works? There's a lot of different views of good works out there, but here uh, Paul qualifies the sphere in which the fruit is produced of the one who's walking worthily. It's in every good work or good deed in a sense. You could translate it that way. He's talking about what God has saved us to do. Uh, he has prepared these good works for us before the foundation of that we would walk in them. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. He says, For we are his workmanship. He he saved us. We're his new creation in a sense. He created us and created in Christ Jesus for good works. And he says here, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He's got them ready. We're just going to walk in them. He's got the good works ready for us. We're always trying to figure out to do the good stuff. God has prepared it beforehand. And when we abide in Jesus Christ, obeying his word, we're going to walk into those good works, which we are to do. The only works that are good are what God has prepared and preordained that we walk in. There's a lot of good deeds out there, a lot of people doing good deeds, doing stuff. Some people will be saying on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do this? Did we cast out demons and do this in your name? Did we do all this good stuff? And the Lord Jesus will say, Depart from me, I never knew you. The only way good deeds are produced are when we abide in a good God, the Lord Jesus Christ. By faith we believe what he said and we step out and obey him. And the, what is produced is good works. They're good works. You know, we are a people that has been uh, purified for good works. Titus chapter 3. Look at Titus, a lot of good works talking in there. And it's not a goody two-shoes works like the fake churches do to make them feel better about their corruption in their hearts and their, their being hellbound. These are works that God does in us when we abide in Jesus. You see, when you abide in Jesus, you're thinking of others more important. So then things happen in front of you, stuff that you're prepared. You're, you're, you're ready for every good deed. You're ready to help. You're ready to love in, those, love in those situations. You're ready to do what the Lord would have you do because you want to do his will. And so truly, truly, uh, true good, truly good works cannot be separated from a good God. Indeed, the Lord Jesus told a certain wealthy uh, ruler, uh, no one is good except God. And he said that because the guy didn't believe he was God. Jesus is God, and no one is good except for God. And apart from him producing that in us, there are no good works. And so we need to abide in him. But that abiding doesn't just happen in a vacuum of trust. It happens with the word of God working in my heart when I'm trusting in Jesus where his word is controlling me, it's pushing me, it's directing me, it's directing my path. We see in Psalm one how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. That's man's ways and thoughts, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, not mechanically, this is interaction with the word of God. That is day and night, and he will be like a tree firmly planted, planted. By streams of order, which yields its fruit in its season. When you abide in Christ and you trust in Him, He will yield fruit in its season. As you walk with Him, trusting in Jesus, the Lord Jesus does it in us, and we marvel at it. We thank Him. We praise Him for it. He opens the opportunities, and He gives us the ability to do it. He prepares us for every good work. We're ready for every good work because we're allowing His Word in Christ to control us. So then when the word is richly dwelling in us, we are going to be continually bearing fruit, ongoing fruit bearing. So my question is, uh, are you, do you have the quart before the horse? Are you trying to bear fruit on your own? Are you abiding in Jesus Christ? And people say, well, if you just abide in Jesus, nothing's going to happen. You're just going to sit there. Well, the reality is if we abide in Jesus Christ, he's going to change our mind, our thoughts, and our walk's going to be worthy. It's going to produce his character in us towards others and those good works. So then, is the character of Christ being manifested in your behavior? We certainly know we bear some not very good things at times, but we confess that. But when we abide in Christ, then our true nature in him is manifest. We are holy, and it's because of Christ. When we abide in Him, we're going to produce fruit. We're going to produce fruit. So that's the first evidence of a worthy walk: continually producing uh, fruit, continually bearing of fruit. What's the second evidence? There's going to be a continual increase in the knowledge of him. Now the bearing of fruit was active voice in Greek. It's going to happen. We're doing that because he's changing us, and we're walking and we're doing. It. This next one is passive, increasing in the knowledge of God. That means we are being acted upon and thus being increased in our knowledge of the Lord. He says here, bearing fruit in every good work, end of verse ten, and increasing knowledge of god we should be growing in the true full knowledge of our lord we should be growing in our understanding of him of his ways of his character you know we shouldn't know him the same way we knew him you know 10 years ago we should be increasing in our understanding and knowledge of him not some mystical relational knowledge that's in our heads but knowledge from the word of god the full knowledge of God, the epinosis of God, this true or intimate knowledge. It's relational. You know, when you get to know somebody, you 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 grow in your relationship with them. You get to know them. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the one and only true God, and your son whom thou hast sent. A relationship with the living God. That's eternal life. It's the most important thing, knowing him. And this word increasing actually is a word that speaks of growth. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a botanical term, growing, like a plant growing in the knowledge of God. When you look at a plant, does it, uh, does it grow before your eyes? No, but if it's being fed and it's abiding in the soil, right, resting, and it's receiving the nutrients, it grows. And if we're doing so, we're going to grow. We're going to grow. We're going to increase in the knowledge of God, we're going to grow in the knowledge of God. And so, what is it that causes us to grow? Acts upon us. It's passive voice. Acts upon us that brings us to the knowledge of Him. It's not us. It's through the divine revelation, God's Word, and by His Spirit illumining it that we can understand and increase in the knowledge of the Lord. Second Peter chapter one, uh, verse two. Peter says. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Hey, that it would be multiplied. Multiplied. And he says here, seeing that his divine power has granted everything pertaining to life, to us, everything pertaining to life and God through the true knowledge of him. And then he goes on to say, we have his precious and magnificent promises. That's where we gain the knowledge of him. May it be multiplied, may it be growing. We should be growing in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In that very same book, Second Peter in the end, he says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand about the bad guys, about the bad guys, he says, Be on your guard, lest you be carried away by the air of unprincipled men. We've seen that this week with some false teachers on the radio that some of our people addressed in a sense. Be, don't be carried away. That you be followed by your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus? Do you know him better? We should be growing in that. We should be growing like a plant. You can't see when you look at it, but you go back the next day or two days, hey, it's growing. It's growing. Growing in the knowledge of him. And what a wonderful knowledge. We have a gracious, wonderful God who loves us so much who holds everything together, who created all things, who is holy and righteous and just, a God who sent his Son, God the Son took on human flesh, died for our sins, loved us, that we would know the love of Christ, that we would know how much he loves us. We just don't see life rightly when we don't see the Lord rightly. We need to grow in the knowledge of him, and we should be. We should be increasing. As we read the word of God, we should be growing in our understanding and knowledge and knowledge of our Savior. So then bearing fruit and every good work, growing in the knowledge of our God, growing in the knowledge of him, right? And then notice the verse 11, strengthened. So remember these are all participles. Walking in a manner worthy, uh, uh, bearing fruit, increasing knowledge of God, strengthened or literally being strengthened, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. We are a weak people. We are weak. Uh, We're weak when we try. We're weak when we don't. Uh, We are a weak people. But if we understand our God and his power, that we would know the surpassing greatness of his power towards those who believe. We would understand that he says here that those who are walking worthy are getting stronger and stronger. But it's not their strength. They're not pulling up the bootstraps. They're not getting stronger in their abilities. They're getting stronger here with God's strength. The term being strengthened here literally means being powered, literally empowered with all power. Duname, dunamanoi, Duname, dunamanoi. Right? We get our word dunamis from, you know, our dynamite, right? We have it here, empowered with all power empowered with all power. Wow. And if you're wondering what all this all power is, he qualifies it according to his glorious might. Might, kratos, inherent power. God is inherently powerful. And he is empowering us with all power. We are not these people left out to to squander and, and moan and liar. We have the power of God available to us to walk in a worthy manner. If we trust him if we believe now notice what this power is notice it's resurrection power by the way it's inherent glorious power turn to Ephesians chapter 1 for a minute we see that Ephesians chapter 1 Paul was praying that they would uh, uh, very similar as this prayer here by the way they grow in the, in the knowledge, spiritual wisdom and understanding of, 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 of him very similar prayer and he says, so that you might know, verse uh, verse 15, 18, in the, 18 in the middle, so that you may know three things. What is the hope of his calling? What are the riches of the glory of, the, of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? Wow. That's quite amazing. This power of all power, right? It's, it's his power, God's power. And he says these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Same phrase, who brought up, who who, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's resurrection power, and seated him at right hand of in heavenly places, his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come, and he has put all things that subjection under his feet, and he gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's resurrection power. That you might know what is the surpassing greatness, the superabounding power, right? Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we ask or think. He says, according to the power that works within us. It's God's spirit in us. It's his power. But notice back in our passage, it's a power for something. You know, the the bad guys, they want power to do all signs and wonders and miracles and stuff. They want the power to do fancy stuff. Well, here, notice what the power is for. It's simply to deliver us, in a sense, to give us uh, steadfastness and patience in the midst of this horrible time we live in of sin where we're going to suffer. When we follow Jesus, if you are walking worldly, you're going to suffer. And we need, we need patience. We need strength. We need the ability to endure. He says here, Strengthen with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. We need that. And if you are growing in the Lord, you're not getting knocked over as much as you were. You're standing more firm day in and day out. It's more and more and more. We're increasing. We're allowing his power to be increased that we would be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord with patience. You see, God's power is perfected in weakness. His grace is sufficient. When we abide in him, his power is perfected. But he gives us power not to escape this war that we're in right now with the flesh and the devil gives us power to endure. He says here, to patiently endure. The word steadfast is serious to remain under. During means patience speaks of long-suffering, forbearance. but what do we need that? Because we get sinned against. We get sinned against by each other. Why do we do that? I'm guilty of that. We're all guilty of that, right? We don't want to, but we do it. We get sinned against by the world. We get tempted by Satan. And we need the ability to remain under and forbear, forbear. And God is going to strengthen us with his glorious might, his power, strengthened, empowered with all power. I need that to endure. You need that to endure. And if you are walking worthily, his power is strengthening you to do so. It's strengthening you to do so. Indeed, the the concept of endurance is all throughout Scripture. Consider it all joy, my brethren, James 1-2, when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance, and the sin which so easily entangles, and let us run with endurance the race that's We get tempted, do we want to give up? It gets hard. And if we're filling our minds with his will, he's going to strengthen us with all power to endure You see, because we get caught up with our sight. We get our eyes off of Jesus, and we start to falter. And we're like Peter after walking and sinking in the water, right? Focus on Jesus. He's walking out to him, sees the waves, and everything starts to sink. We're walking worldly. We're going to be strengthened. We're going to endure. 2 Timothy 4, 5, but you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Endure hardship, and God gives us the power to do it. You got a difficult situation, relationship. You got a difficult boss. You got a difficult situation at school. You got hardship. Whatever it is, it's usually people's sin. Could be sin of your own, whatever. Then you've confessed it. Difficult things. God's going to strengthen you. He's going to help you if you're walking with Him, abiding in Him, letting His Word control your mind. He gives us resurrection power so that we can endure patiently. The same power that raised Christ from the dead will help you endure patiently. That's amazing. We need it. Hey, but it's a short time. He's going to talk about that in a minute. Something really great. Uh, We sang sweet by and by earlier. Oh, what a wonderful thing, right? This patience and endurance isn't forever. Uh, God's going to come. He's going to take care of everything. So then we have these evidences of a worthy walk, that we continue bearing of fruit, continual increasing knowledge of him, continue strengthened with all power so we can endure patiently. And notice this last one. There's a continual joyous thankfulness for our great salvation. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. An interesting statement there. This portion is pretty simple and clear. Uh, The worthy walk is going to exhibit a continual thankfulness for our great salvation. If you're not continually thankful for what Jesus has done for you, you're not walking worthily. That means your mind's not filled with the knowledge of his will. It means it's filled with the knowledge of whatever you're thinking about, but not him. And so here, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of life. This is a pretty amazing statement, by the way. The term qualified is the same word used in Second Corinthians 3.5 to speak of adequate. Uh, it means to make sufficient, to qualify, to make adequate, to make something competent for something. To bring it up to the level in which it can do something or receive something. And so here we are to be joyously giving thanks to the Father because he's made us adequate, sufficient, or qualified us to share or to take part in the inheritance of the saints of light. And this term qualifies in a Greek tense, aorist tense means completed action. He already qualified us. You don't need to do any qualifying. He has qualified us. It is a done deal. It's a done deal. And what is it he's qualified us to do? To share or take part in, the word is part, marriage, part in the inheritance of the saints in light. Wow. We should be joyously giving thanks. Joyously giving thanks. Joyously means not... Grumply, <laughs> right? We should. It should be thankful. It should be. It should make my heart beam with joy, joyously giving thanks to the Father. And notice he says here that we would take part, or take, be part, and share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Well, what's that? I go. What's this inheritance, the saints of light? What is he talking about? That we are qualified to take part in. If you've been qualified to take part in something, we'd like to know what it is, right? to like know what it is. Well, first of all, the term inheritance speaks of what is received as a gift from someone who has died. Now we're going to see, we receive an inheritance because Jesus Christ died for our sins, and we're in Christ, we died to which is sin, and we live to righteousness. We're in Christ, he's died, and he's rose from the dead. And those who receive the inheritance are called heirs. In Greek, the term inheritance and the term heirs is basically a cognate of the same word. Those who receive it are called heirs. So, what is this inheritance that God the Father has qualified us to share in or take part in? This inheritance of the saints in light. Well, first of all, we see from our passage, it's an inheritance that is of the saints. Now, we saw the term saints back in the beginning. Saints are believers, they are those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, and because of faith in him, we've been justified. We've been declared righteous. We are holy in position because of Jesus Christ. We are saints. But notice he says, the saints in light. Now you think, of it, that's kind of weird. I was thinking, why does it say the saints of light? Why does it say the saints in light? That's a weird statement. Well, we know light is consistent, used consistently in scripture as a metaphor for righteousness, holiness, truth, uprightness. We know that darkness is a metaphor for sin and evil, uh, etc. So then obviously Paul wants to emphasize the inheritance is for the saints who are in the sphere of of light, the saints in light—that is the sphere in which they dwell. They dwell in light. We've been actually delivered into His, the kingdom of His beloved Son, and from his, into His marvelous light. We don't live in the context in our relationship with the Lord in darkness. It's light. We're actually called children of light in Ephesians five, because God is righteous, and in Him there's no sin. Right? He is light. We see that for First John one. So what's this inheritance that all of us as saints through faith in Jesus Christ have been qualified to inherit? What is this inheritance? What is it? Well, specifically, we don't know the full extent of our inheritance. We can say that it's our inheritance, um, which is spoken here and other places, but we have some good clues. And let me share some passages. The first one is that part of our inheritance is the culmination of our salvation, the redemption of our bodies. Ephesians chapter 1, and let me read this to start. One thirteen in him, you, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory, a view towards our final redemption, our bodies being redeemed. Praise the Lord. Being glorified. Romans 8, 23, and not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption of sons the redemption of our body. We're looking forward to that. If you're not looking forward to being glorified, I don't know what you're looking forward to. Because this, this body's running down, these are dying. This body of death, who will set me free from this body of death? Chapter 8, no condemnation, and we're on our way to glory. Romans 8. So here, we see that it certainly has to do with our ultimate redemption. That's part of it. But then in Titus uh, chapter 3, we see we were, we, we, when we we're born again, we inherit eternal life. That's one thing. Titus 3.5, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing, regeneration, renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs. The heirs are those who inherit, isn't it, right? Made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We're going to inherit eternal life. It's part of that, right? We receive that because of the death of Christ. We receive that. We are heirs. I read this earlier in First Peter. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an, what? Inheritance, which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. Hey, it's eternal, isn't it? Reserved for you in heaven. So we have a heavenly inheritance. Okay? That's so what we see. There's, we know that our rewards are connected to our inheritance. Uh, we're to do our work hardly unto the Lord and not unto men. And then in for that same passage, Colossians 3.24, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of the inheritance, he says. Colossians 3:24. Our rewards and our inheritance are connected together too. We see that the gospel revealed the truth that Gentiles are fellow heirs of this inheritance. That mystery was there before; we didn't know that. Ephesians chapter three, verse four. In referring to this, when you read and understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, Paul writes which in generations past was not made known to the sons of men and has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. To be specific, that Gentiles are fellow heirs. We inherit, as we will see, the kingdom of God. We inherit, as we'll see, everything. It's quite amazing when you look at it, okay? We know from James chapter 2, verse 5, the inheritance has to do with the kingdom of God. Listen to me, beloved brother, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? We we receive as an inheritance the kingdom of God. How about that? That's quite amazing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 25, 34, after the tribulation, the Lord Jesus is separating the sheep and the goats. Uh, he's separating those who, who suffered during the tribulation. And in their suffering, they actually loved and helped those Jewish believers who were suffering under death. And they gave them a cup of water in that sense. They helped them, and thus they did that to Jesus. And that was an evidence that they were saved. And so Jesus says, the king will say to the righteousness right and the left, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom Prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Man, I don't understand that, but I know it's good. Wow. Wow. So it's the kingdom. We know in Romans chapter 8 that we're gonna be glorified with him. We know in Romans chapter 8, 31, what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Romans eight thirty-two. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? That's pretty amazing. Earlier in Romans 8, he said that we are, if we're children of God, we are heirs. That's an inheritor. And if heirs, also we are heirs of God. We are God's heirs. okay, And fellow heirs or joint heirs with Christ. We receive everything with Christ. We're joint heirs. How is that possible? If indeed we suffer with him, that we might be glorified with him. Now let me warn you that if you say you know Christ and yet you live like the devil, you live in sin, Ephesians 5.5, For you know this with certainty, that no immoral, impure person or covetous man who's an adulterer has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. There's no inheritance. They're not going to heaven. They're going to hell. So then, he has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the sons of saints in light. Redemption of our bodies. We inherit the kingdom. We'll be with the Lord forever. Uh, and we, we, we are joint heirs with Christ for everything. Let me turn uh, one more thing, uh, one more passage on inheritance, and we'll get to how it happened through Jesus, and we'll be done. Turn to Revelation chapter 21. As I told you this would be good. Revelation twenty one, verse one. And remember, we're still talking about inheriting, okay? Remember that as I read through this, okay? Revelation twenty one, one, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Amen. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Sorry, sailors. Um, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The tabernacle of God is among men and he shall dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be among them and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall no longer be any death, no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about no more sin, no more death, no more sorrow. Talking about being in the presence of the living God. And then notice what he says here. He he who sits, so it's the new things, not the old things, right? He who sits on the throne, usually we inherit old stuff, don't we? We're not going to inherit old stuff here. Um, He who sits on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, write these words, write for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the mega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water with life without cost. He who overcomes, what? shall inherit these things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. It's tied to a relationship with the living God forever and ever, and it's this, in this relationship where sin is done, and with the Lord forever. Tremendous. He has qualified us to partake and share in this. This should be saying, causing us to joyously give thanks, continually, if you're not thinking about it, if you're not filled with the knowledge of his truth, you're not going to be giving thanks. If you're filled with the stuff of your daily life, if that's controlling, you're filled with what somebody just said to you a minute ago, you're filled with that, you're not going to be giving thanks. Renew your mind, fill it with the truth. So then he's qualified, he's made us adequate. And how did he do that? We'll finish up with these two verses here. Verse 13, 4. He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us in the kingdom of his beloved son. Here we see that God delivered us. That means we had to be saved, right? Uh, from the domain of darkness. We walked in the dominion of Satan and sin. We were, uh, Satan was effectively our spiritual father. We were in sin and we were on our way to hell. And he delivered us. And then he transferred us. We got to transfer from the domain of darkness to the kingdom, again, kingdom, right? Kingdom means there's a king, right? And we're his subjects. He says, the kingdom of his beloved son, that's Jesus Christ, we're transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. Remember what Paul shared with Agrippa, what the Lord Jesus shared with him? This is what you're going to do, Paul. I'm going to send you to the Gentiles to open their eyes. He says, Acts 26, 8, to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light from the dominion of Satan to God, in order that we may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. We don't have anything yet of what we're going to get. It's in the heavenlies. It's being prepared for us. We have spiritual blessings. We have an inheritance. We've been qualified to share. (coughs) So no matter what's going on in your life, believer, this truth should cause you to joyously give thanks. God snatched us out of Satan's domain. Sin and darkness transferred. And how did he do it? He did it through his beloved son, verse 14. This is very important. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Here we see that God the Father, through his beloved son Jesus Christ, brought redemption. Redemption means the release affected by a payment or a ransom. We were, the wages of sin is death. A righteous judge must judge sin, and God is a righteous judge. Our sins are hostile towards us. Uh, We're in deep trouble. We're in deep trouble. And we see here, ultimately, that the Lord graciously paid the price. Jesus Christ went to the cross. He knew, knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We received the payment. He paid our price. He paid the price, and we see this in First Peter. And if you address the Father, who one is partially judges each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during your time stay upon the earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with spirit, with perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, the unblemished and spotless the blood of Christ. He shed his blood for us. Paid the price. And therefore, we could be declared righteous, our sins forgiven. Notice how redemption and forgiveness of sins are together. Redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God no longer holds our sins to us. We're forgiven. Forgiven. We see that in Ephesians. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Through the blood of Christ shed on our behalf, Jesus Christ brought about the redemption uh, that God and God thus delivered us from darkness to light and forgave our sins, and we have an inheritance. We should be joyously giving thanks. Tell you right now, if your life does not consist of joyous thankfulness for your salvation, you're not walking in a fully worthy manner. You're not filled with the knowledge of his will. If I'm filled with the knowledge of his will, it's his will for us to inherit this. It's his will, for he did this through Christ, saved us, and so our great salvation ought to cause us to joyously give thanks. And that's what we do when we come sing. So we do when we look at what Christ has done for us. So then, if you're walking in a manner worthy, how glorious it is, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of the living God, continually being strengthened to patiently endure, to fight the good fight, joyously giving thanks for this great salvation we have in Jesus Christ and inheritance. He's qualified us. You're qualified. if You've trusted in Jesus. Well, some of you here are not qualified for anything. Your sin, the wages of sin is death. You're qualified for uh, eternal punishment. And if you were to die today, you would die in your sins, and God would have to, by his righteousness, punish you. But he sent his son Jesus instead in your place. He paid the price that God requires for sin. And if you trust in him, he will save you. And you will receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance. An inheritance. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And help us to be those who are continually filled with the full knowledge of your will. That we would walk in a worthy manner, Lord God. That we would be just like this, we would be bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of you, and and that uh, in that um, we would be patiently enduring, strengthened with your all your power. And Lord, that we might be continually joyously giving thanks for what you have done for us through your Son Jesus Christ. Father, may we look at our lives. If it's not like that, may we confess what's wrong, and may we renew our hearts and minds and walk in a manner.